Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, I am overjoyed right now because I finally get to interview Anna Martinez, who actually used to work with our team at the Paul Mitchell School in Fort Myers. And Anna, before I read your bio, I just want to say, I remember when you came in, I was, I think I was just in the middle of a meeting and you just walked in and all of a sudden you and I connect so well when you start talking to me just nonchalantly and all of a sudden you start pouring your heart out to me about your past life about things that had happened to you in the past and i connected with you at such an entirely different level at that moment it's a moment i will never forget in fact it was a transformational moment for me, Anna, and I knew your story needed to be told. In fact, I was thinking, wow, I need to interview you so that I can put your story in my book, Be Amazing, because that book has stories of people just like you who have gone through incredible adversity, but come out on top and became an advocate for their adversity, because I believe our greatest adversity leads to our greatest assignment. And I've seen that in you, Anna, and I can't wait for everyone to hear uh, you and to hear your story and what you're all about. And this podcast B series is is really was written really because I wanted to be able to help people to become human beings because I, I believe that we've all become, including myself, human doings. And I still slip into that on occasion. And I have to remind myself, no, I am a human being. And so in order to have, do, or be more. You have to become more. And I know you've become such an incredible person to so many people and being able to help others as well too. But I want to read this bio of Anna. So Anna, aka Amarty Martinez, is a multifaceted master stylist and barber with a passion for teaching. Anna was born and raised in Florida. She decided to enroll in beauty school when she was 25 after having served in the military. Anna was always passionate about hair from the beginning. And while in beauty school, she also worked on becoming certified in the application of hair extensions and eyelashes. While working in the salon, she found a love for men's grooming and chose to pursue career in barbering after obtaining her barber license. During this time, she discovered her passion for educating and began laying the foundation for what would become her career as an educator. She traveled all over teaching classes in hairstyling, makeup, men's grooming. Anna started as a learning leader for Paul Mitchell the School of Fort Myers. Woo woo, little shout out before <laughs> moving to Texas and working now as a learning leader at the Paul Mitchell School San Antonio. She also now spends her time working as a barber and mentoring new stylists in her salon. Anna also continues to travel and educate with Hairpalooza as well as other platforms. Anna continues to share her passion for the hair industry and has made it her personal goal to reestablish a professional image for future barbers and stylists to aspire to. I think if I were to pick somebody that has more energy than I do, it's you, Anna, and more <laughs> heart than I've ever seen in a person. And wow, like when I hear a woman serving in the military, that, that just knocks me. And I remember you telling me a story, but tell us what happened to you in the military. Tell us your story. Um, I was 17 when I signed up, so I still needed a signature for my mom, which is still a little bit more convincing. I think I had to take her to a couple lunches <laughs> before she was like, okay. Um, and we signed up and I joined and I felt like I told my mom, this is it. I'm either going to retire from this or die from this. So mm. let's prepare for that. And wow, I went, I went in, I had no plans. Like, it's funny to say that now I'm a, you know, master stylist and barber when I had no plans of doing anything else with my life. Like the military was it for me. And so I did my time. I went in and we, you know, you go through your training and anybody who's been through the military, you understand you go through basic training, then they send you to your AIT training, then they send you to your actual first duty station. And so I did my time. And then, um, so this is the part where everything gets hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, take your time. Yeah. It's just, uh, so there was, I don't, I don't talk in detail 
about it, but there was uh, an injury that happened. And during that injury, um, like during that actual time, someone else had lost their life. And I, in turn, they call it survivor's guilt. And so that's where my story starts to turn because I felt guilty for actually being here. I felt guilty that I was alive and um, I couldn't get past it. And so what I did in turn was I felt like, okay, I failed. I'm here. I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be alive. So I'm just going to end it. And I felt like that's, it's so weird at that point that I made the decision. I felt so much peace because I felt like the pain was going to end. I felt like everything that I felt was going to end. And so I felt peace. And I, um, I remember going to my room and writing out two letters. I wrote one out to my mom and one out to my sister, who at the time she was probably like 10 or 11 years old. And I just kind of uh, gave her instructions on how to take care of my mom because I knew that my mom was going to need someone. And I wrote out a letter to my mom uh, telling her that I was sorry for being a failure, telling her that I was sorry for not maybe being 100% the daughter that I needed to be, telling her that I loved her and that I was doing this for her too. And uh, I uh, put the letters away and I went and laid in my bed and I took a whole bunch of pills. And I just, like, I drifted. Um, the next thing I know, I was being woken up by an ambulance, like, a, um, and not an ambulance, but the actual workers, a paramedic. And they were trying to, you know, bring me to it. They were putting things on my throat so that I could throw up because um, they were rushing me to the hospital. I got to the hospital and they started, like, pumping me some more. And, and it was just, like, crazy. I was in and out of it because of the, the medications that I had taken it. So I was, like, brief moments that I remember and then I remember waking up in the psychiatric ward of the hospital and a nurse came in and she was checking me and I'm like where am I and she's like well you're in the psychiatric ward of such and such floor of hospital and I'm like well what am I doing here and they're like well you tried to take your life and I'm like okay and I'm like well gee there I go I failed again and um they're like is there anybody that we can call and the only person I could think of was my mom Mind you, I was stationed in Fort Bliss, Texas, which is El Paso. My mom was in Florida still. So mm -hmm. the Army had contacted her and let her know what was going on. And she and my cousin jumped on a flight out there. And uh, she got there, I think it was the next day. And she walked in and I was, they still like had me strapped to bed because they weren't sure that I wasn't going to hurt myself. And she walked in and I thank her for the next action that she did because it was unexpected. It was very uncharacteristic of my mother, but she walked into the room and what I thought was going to be a loving embrace actually was a slap. And she slapped me to my, like just slapped me so hard in my face. And I just was shocked. And I was like, mom, like she said, why did you do it? And I just said, well, mom, like I don't deserve to be here. I'm nothing. You know, the person who's gone was a father, was a husband, was, all these things and and I'm just me and she slapped me again and she's like who are you and I said well you know I'm me I'm Melly which that's my nickname for my family and she's like no who are you and I was like no she's like until you can remember that you're like my daughter you're somebody's sister you're somebody's cousin one day you'll be somebody's wife one day you'll be somebody's mother she says, until you can remember that I don't want to talk to you She's because my daughter wouldn't have done this. My daughter would have remembered who she was. And she walked out of the room. Wow. Yeah. And I just, in shock, I cried, of course. And I thought, I was like, wow, I didn't really, like, think the impact that it actually makes on people. Like, you know, you think you're so selfish in that moment, but it's, it's a healing selfish because you're like, I'm, I need this. I need to get away from everything that's hurting me. But at the same time, you leave so many people behind with so much pain. And I didn't think about that. And it wasn't until that moment that I was like, you know what, mom, you're right. Like, I am somebody. I am important. There's a reason why I'm here. And believe it or not, I still have purpose. I just had to figure out what my purpose was. But I still had a purpose. My journey wasn't over because he said it wasn't over. So yeah, it was, it was, 
it was a huge moment in both our lives but I thank her all the time for that like that slap was like a slap of like <laughs> here's some sense let me knock some sense into you literally wow wow what's your mom's first name Rosie yeah everybody needs a Rosie in their life yeah yeah oh, so yeah. let's uh be a Rosie <laughs> Yes, <laughs> be <definitely>. a Rosie. <laughs> that would be our B series right now because, you know, I uh, most of you know listening to this, and you know this, Anna, that I wrote a suicide note to my family too, and that's where you and I just resonated so much. And and you know, same thing. I just I felt like I there was no purpose for me. There was no reason for me to be alive, and it was such a dark, dark moment. Um, you know, let's let's go backwards just for a moment because you there was something there was a transformational thought process in your head when you were 16 that you had you were called you felt to be in the military tell us about that like i mean why the military <laughs> uh, i know that it was crazy because let me tell you like in school i was involved in drama i was like head of our honors choir like I I was creative. I was in art. I was in photography. So it was a shock to my entire family when I said I wanted the military. But I mean, 2001, 9-11, everybody who like lived through that will always remember exactly what you were doing that day. And I was in high school. And I remember like walking to um, our classes because we were switching classes at the time. And I remember um, the bell ringing a lot earlier than it normally would because they usually gave us like seven minutes to get to class. I felt like the bell had rang like after two minutes and everyone was shocked. Everyone was like, you know, hey, uh, the bell's ringing early. Like what's going on? It must be messed up. And then you see teachers just grabbing us and shoving us into classrooms and, you know, us trying to figure out like, okay, what's going on? Something is not right. And then they turned the TVs on because we had TVs in our classroom. Then they turned TV on and they put it onto the news and we see one of the towers just in smoke and I remember sitting there like oh my god what's going on like an accident happened you know like this is so crazy like and then live on tv watching the second plane hit and I think that's when we all realized like okay something is wrong this is not an accident and I think at that moment I just felt like okay I need to do something I need to protect too I need to be a part of this like a, a I don't know, like patriotism just welled up inside me. And I, I turned around, I was like, you know, they're going to need people because this is, this is serious. They're going to need us to get out there and do something. And if I don't do my part, who will, you know, mm -hmm. so many people are going to like, they run scared and I'm kind of like the not run scared. I'm the, where they say fight or flight. I'm a very fight person. So mm -hmm. it just, that day changed it. And I started thinking about it and I started looking into it and, um, like I said, I had that conversation with my mom a couple of years later because I was ready to, to join. And she was just like, okay. And I, you know, I told her, I was like, mom, just remember how you felt that day. Like, cause she, you know, she was at home watching the news when it happened. And I was like, just remember how you felt that day. Like how sad we were, how angry we were, how, I mean, it welled up so many different emotions. I was like, all those emotions are things that I want to protect. I want to make sure that there's something that my kids can come home to. I want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And I have to do my part, even if it's four years, I'll do my four years. I mean, I was thinking lifetime, but you know, I was like, mom, four years, just sign me for four years, please. <laughs> yeah. But that, that kind of like, it really did mold for me, like the choice to do it. Like it, it just built it inside me. I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. Wow. I mean, honestly, like when I look at you and I hear you say that it just, I have never loved like that. Like that would never be a choice for me. And so to hear that coming from you and so many people that I've met, I'm just honor you. And I just thank you so much for that and the sacrifice that you made, because I know you didn't just make a sacrifice physically, but mentally. And, and I believe again, our greatest adversity leads to our greatest assignment. So every struggle and every transformation that you went through, I believe that God is going to continue to use it for good to help people. And I believe someone is listening right now. And, and Anna, I have so many students, 
so many staff members that have either been in the military, had a family member in the military, had staff members right now. I have one right now where her husband just went to Iraq for the next year. And I will never know the pain that she's feeling. Let's talk on both sides. Um, talk to us of family members, like what is going on in all of their minds? What's happening to them? What, what happened to you when you were in the military? Speak to the families. What would you want us to know? It's not an easy task to be away from your family. And um, I had a, a brief job at like um, corrections and corrections after the military, just because I was lost and didn't know what I wanted to do. And I remember um, talking to one of the inmates at one time and he was like, it's so hard because I can't see my family every day and, and these officers don't understand that. And I turned around and I said, not all of us, but some of us do. And he was like, well, how have you been in jail? And I'm like, no, I've never been on that side of, of the law, but I do know what it's like to wait for a phone call or wait for a letter, um, not have communications or even the news that you get in letters like you know someone passed away and you weren't there to be able to console that family member or you weren't ever uh, be able to, to like to say goodbye see the birth of a child you know uh, attend a wedding or a sweet 15 or a graduation because you're away and there's no way for you to walk away from that i mean it's not like i can just call tina and say hey tina i need a day off you know, you can't call the president of the United States and say, hey, I need this day off because this is happening. I can't call in sick. I can't, you know, just stay in my bed when I don't feel good. I have to get up and I have to keep going because I signed on that dotted line saying that I was going to protect something bigger than myself and that I was going to be part of something bigger than myself. So as a family member, it's hard too because you just don't know. And there's times that I know like my sister or my brothers would want to like pick up the phone and say like, hey, this just happened to me today, you know? And they couldn't because I chose a job that they say they want to support me on, but I had to be away for. You do build a bond with people. You build a, a family and it's, it's a lasting one. I mean, it's, it's really a, a deep thing to put your life in the hands of someone else. It is hard. Wow. Yeah. Your yeah. life is in each other's hands. Yeah. Which I just, I can't even relate to this and just hearing this. It's just like, wow, where do you think the survivor's guilt came from a and B if you could do something differently and what would you recommend also to the military? Do you recommend potentially, I keep hearing possibly that every person that's in the military should seek therapy right away. I would have like definitely looked for counseling earlier on. Um, okay. And I think that that's important. I mean, I call them divine intervention, um, which I believe like God placed certain people in my life following those events that kind of my mom first, thank God for her. Mm -hmm. uh, but then other things that have happened that have really like transitioned and helped me get past it. We get into the mindset. And I think this is where it like stems from is that we're, we're supposed to be these strong people that can get through anything and when you're mm -hmm. going through basic training you know that's they're breaking you down to build you up into this strong person so that you can keep going no matter what's happening around you you know start breaking through the emotions i mean our emotions are not wrong and i think that's where the guilt part comes from because we're feeling like i shouldn't feel sad because this or i shouldn't feel you know happy because of this I, it's just you're going through a million emotions i'm happy to be alive but i'm also sad that something else, you know, happened to someone else or that someone else lost their life in place of me, you mm. know? And so a lot of my guilt was more so like, I felt value of life. I was putting value on the wrong things or I was putting value, not so much on the wrong things, but on things like, oh, you have a wife, you have kids. I'm just me, you know? And so value of life, I'm thinking, well, you're more like a 90 and I'm sitting here at a 50 or a 40 because I don't have those extra things. But I have, I had to remember like with my mom's shocking slap of sense, right. That I was somebody and that I will be somebody. Mm -hmm. Cause we don't ever think future wise. Like, yeah, I was going to be somebody's wife. Hopefully God willing. I mean, I'm only 32. So hopefully I'll be somebody's mom, mm -hmm. but you don't think about that at that moment. You're like, okay, I'm single. I don't have anybody. 
and you were thinking wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. And I thank know God for your mom. I right? mean, be a Rosie, uh, help people understand how to be a Rosie and how that was important to you. Because I believe that there's so many people going through struggles right now. And in fact, uh, my husband and I had a friend of ours commit suicide not too long ago. Wow. And I wish that we could have been a Rosie for him. And we didn't even see the signs. We didn't see, we didn't even see it at all. Like we were shocked to the core. And I feel like that happens often. What signs do you think are out there? And, and what, what advice would you give to each one of us to be a Rosie if we do see those signs? We all struggle. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest things for people who are suffering, like where I was going through depression and I still struggle with depression. I'm not, I never say that I fully recovered because there are, we have our bad days. The, the biggest thing that I noticed on myself is that I never talked about just like my struggle. I never talked about anything that I was going through wrong. And I don't think that that's normal and find help. Those of us that just stand out, there very strong, very, you know, happy. Nothing ever is wrong in my life. I live a perfect life. Those are the ones you've really got to pay attention to because they're hiding something because we all struggle. Mm -hmm. We're all human. Yeah. So I feel like those are, are the ones that even like now as a learning leader in the school, when I see a, a future professional who is just happy, happy, happy all the time and nothing mm -hmm. is ever wrong and nothing is ever going wrong. I try to reach out to that person because I'm like, come here, like, let me hear about your struggle because you need to find someone safe to talk to. And I've had some later tell me, you know, I was really thinking about ending my life. Wow. And I was like, you know, I think I know that because I was there. And my first attempt wasn't my last attempt which is the sad part. The other two attempts my mom never found out about because I don't think I ever wanted to be slapped again. But mm -hmm. yeah. um, I, the last one was the one that I finally was like, you know what, there's a reason I'm failing at this. You know, there, there's, there's a reason why God keeps allowing me to fail at this when I don't like to fail at anything. And it was like, you know, you still have a journey. You still have a purpose on, on this earth. You just got to figure out what it is. And so now it's like my focus has changed. Um, I made it my purpose to to seek out people like that were hurting like me and help them realize that, hey, there's a life worth living and it's yours and you've got to make it happen every day. So like to be wow. like I said, to be like my mom, look for those people that don't share their struggles and yeah. lean on them. I mean, sometimes we look at them for admiration, like, oh my God, that person is so strong. That person is so amazing. Like, look at their life. But look at some of the, the happiest people in the world that have committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Like Robin Williams, I think was a yeah. huge shock to all of us. I was thinking of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was happy mm -hmm. all the time. He was laughing all the time. He was, you know, nobody saw it, but those are the people that you need to reach out to. Your friends, if you have a friend that has never shared a struggle with you, are you really close with that person can you really call them like a really close friend because we should know each other's struggles not so that we can you know like feel human but for that person to feel human mm -hmm. that's powerful yeah and that's 100 percent true because uh, the friend of ours that did commit suicide just seemed like he had everything going for him and he seemed so happy and and you're right and what what is the best way, you know, how do you get people to share their struggles with you? Like, how do you break through that pride and um, that they have with it? Like just the facade that they're putting on, what do you do differently? Cause I believe your adversity led to your greatest assignment. That's which is your purpose. And yes. so obviously you're a pro at getting people to feel safe with you. Cause I know just your whole demeanor, like your loving demeanor of like, you just really care about people. So how do you do that, Anna? Um, I think the, the most important part is letting other people see that you're human too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, sometimes it is sharing your story, even if it's just a little piece of it so that they have yeah. something to relate to, but it's also showing them like, you see me as this superhuman walking around, you know, owning my job, owning my, mm -hmm. my career, owning my life. But there's times that my pillow has seen a lot of tears and I, uh, and listen, I think people hear a lot, but they don't listen. And there's a big difference between hearing someone and listening to someone. And I had to learn to listen to people. Like I would hear things, but listening was the hardest thing. For one of the first people I had to learn how to listen to was my mom. I heard her. Wow. 
but did I listen to her? Did I really feel those words that she was saying to me? Did I really feel, you know, those pain that she said it with? Did I, did I feel the love that was behind it? Because there was love in it too. I think it's like the biggest thing is love leads us through so much. And so with the people that I've talked to, it's like sitting down and like, okay, I hear you, but I'm going to listen to you. I want to listen to those emotions behind it. I want to listen to that struggle. I want to listen to what's going on because I want you to know that you have somewhere safe to say it. And I want you to know that you are loved and that you matter and that you're important and that you have a future in something. I love it. And I, I 100% agree that you've got to tell your story first so that people can actually relate to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember just um, even with some of my staff or with some of my directors and, and myself, I didn't really start to build that safety with people until they heard like, wow, she struggled with that. Like, oh my gosh, if she could do it, I could do it too. And it, it, and, and so it's really not about you when you're sharing your struggle. I remember my son said to me, well, I don't know if I really want to share, share my story because I'm free from it and I don't feel like it's part of my story. And his fiance actually said, no, it's not about you. It's about the people listening to it that are struggling with it right exactly. now. And your words could penetrate their heart and say, whoa, if Justin went through this, then I can get through this too. And yes. so it's really not about us. How have you been able to use this as part of your assignment? Because I know when I got into this business 20 years ago, I knew it was going to be a ministry for me. And within six months of owning my first school, I actually was able to help a young lady to not commit suicide. And it rushed to my mind. I was able to share with her the suicide note that I wrote. She was the first person I ever shared that with. My family didn't even know. And I remember the first time I actually shared my story. It was actually in front of future professionals at the Orlando school. And mm -hmm. Julio, who's the owner at the time, told me I needed to tell that story more. And I said, I'm so embarrassed and so ashamed of my story. I don't want to tell it. Like, I just want to be this superhuman. And he's like, yes. stop stop right now because you're not going to be able to penetrate and become an incredible leader that you need to be. And so that was part of my transformation. I know it has become part of yours too, Anna, because I've seen it firsthand with you. And I know that's why the success that's all over you right now, because it's, it's about people. So share that story. Like how have you been able to take your adversity and make it part of your assignment? My mom was the one who was like, Hey, you should do hair and makeup. And I'm like, yeah, right, mom. Like, wow. I'm military. I'm corrections. <laughs> uh, there is no hair or makeup in my bloodstream at all. Like that is not in my DNA. Wow. So, um, and I went into hair school and I did the tour and it was, you know, a, it was an awesome tour, but I wasn't excited. And I remember him, uh, the campus director asking me like, Hey, um, why do you want to be a cosmetologist? And I flat out said, I don't, I don't want to do this. <laughs> And he said, what? And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do this. And um, he found out I was former military. So he was like, well, you're a former military. So you know that the GI will pay for it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. The, the GI will pay for it. And he's like, you know, they'll pay you to go to school too. And I was like, oh, that's enough. The first eight weeks of it, I hated life. I had to remind myself every day why I was getting up and it was for a paycheck. I mean, and then I was 25. Everybody there was 18. And my first guest, her name was Grace. And she came in and she was just this bubbly little lady. And she came in with her husband and her husband was like, anything she wants to get done today is fine by me. There's no price tag on anything. Just take care of her. And so they assigned her to me. And I was terrified because she wanted a pixie cut. And I'd never cut a pixie before <laughs> in my life. Uh -huh. I was like, and so I tried to convince her to do everything other than a pixie cut. I was like, let's do some highlights. And she's like, yeah, sure. Let's do some highlights. Like, great. So we'll do the highlights and this and that. And I wouldn't mention the cut. And she's like, oh, and my cut. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> like, do you want a manicure? We can do a manicure. Yeah, let's do a manicure and my cut. And I'm like, oh, so by the end of it, I think I had sold her the entire service menu, <laughs> but I still was stuck with the cut. And so, uh, you know, I worked on Grace and we laughed and we had a great time and it came around lunchtime and the girls came around and they were like, hey, Anna, we're going to order Chinese. And I always tell anyone, you can bribe me with broccoli, uh, beef and broccoli. That's, that's a winner for me. So they came around. I'm like, yeah, I want beef and broccoli. Great. And Grace turned around. She's like, hey, can I order something? And we're like, yeah, sure. No problem. 
when the food got there, we went to the back and we were eating. And then uh, here comes the campus director. And I figured I was in trouble because at that point I was always getting called out for things. I knew I was in trouble for something. So when he called me out of the break room, I was like, what I do now? And he's like, oh no, um, some, uh, the husband wants to ask a question. I'm like, the husband's here. I'm like, oh man, we went over on our time or something like, and he's like, um, she's eating. And red flags went off in my head. I'm like, what? He's asking if she's eating. And he's like, she's eating. And uh, we both said, yeah. And I was like, well, is there an issue? Like, is she not allowed to eat? Like, what's going on? And he started crying. Mm. And I couldn't understand why he was crying. I was like, what is going on right now? He asked to see her, but he didn't want her to see him. Like, is there a way he could look into the break room without her seeing him? And so they showed him, and then he went out to the front room where we, you know, our reception area. And he continued crying. And all he kept saying was, she was going to be okay. She's going to be okay. And after a while, I sat down next to him because I was like, what is going on right now? And so I finally said, can I ask you something? He's like, yeah. I'm like, why is she going to be okay? What's going on? And he said, uh, two weeks ago, our son, 19 years old, our only son, was killed in a motorcycle accident. Oh. And she hasn't eaten since. Wow. Like, she stopped eating two weeks ago. She'd have water here and there, but she wouldn't eat. They had the funeral, and she didn't eat. And she was just she, a mess, pretty much, which, I mean, I could understand. And uh, he's like, it's like she has no will to live. And that just hit me because I was thinking she was laughing and having a great time with me I never really saw that she was hurting and so he's like you know I don't want her to know that I was here I don't want her to know that you know what's going on and I I mean I'm not a good liar I don't have a really good poker face at all Mm -hmm. but I was like okay you know I'll try but in my mind I'm thinking you know this lady is sitting here laughing with me she's having a great time with me but she's hurting crazy because that's me you know Mm. I laugh I have a great time I hide it but inside I'm hurting and so I went back to the lunchroom and I didn't say anything you know I was really quiet which is not a a characteristic at all I don't think quiet exists in my vocabulary so I was real quiet and some of the girls were just like are you okay and I'm like yeah I'm just I think the food hit me wrong they're like you sure like yeah, I know. I don't have a good poker face, but <laughs> it's the food. Let's just leave it at the food. And so we went back to, her, you know, I took her back to my station and continued working on her. And I cut that pixie. <laughs> Girl, I cut that pixie. I wasn't happy about it. I was scared, but I did it. <laughs> yeah, like I did. I did it scared, Tina. <laughs> wow. But um, I cut that pixie and I blow dried her and I blow dried her face and away from the mirror because I was scared that she wasn't going to like the pixie. I was scared she wasn't going to like the highlights. I was scared she wasn't going to like the blow dry. And I turned her around and she looked at herself and she stayed real silent. And I was like, oh man, she doesn't like it. And then she started crying Mm. and I started crying and she's like, no, 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 no. I love it. I love it. And I'm like, okay. It's like, I I thought you didn't like it. And then she's like, no, no. She's like, it's just, I feel like a person again. Wow. And then I started crying more. And I was like, I know about your son. (laughs) And so, because I told you, I I can't hold anything in. And so she started crying even more. And she was like, once she can compose herself, she sat down and she turned around. She told me, she's like, you know, I just want to let you know something. And I was like, what? You know, at this point, like, what could we share with each other? And she was like, you know, my son has the same spirit as you or had the same spirit as you. Like he was bubbly. He was friendly. He was loving. He was caring. She's like, I can tell who you are because you were who he was. She's like, it wow. was like my son was here today with us. It was like, he was telling me, Hey mom, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to feel good about yourself. It's okay to keep living. It's not wow. the end for you. It was just my end. And I turned around, I was like, what? I did your hair and you felt that? And she said, yeah. She's like, it's not because you did my hair. She's like, it's because you treated me like a person. And I said, oh. And I gave her a big hug and um, I cried her. And then she left and I walked to the office, you know, the campus director's office and I knocked on the door 
And I said, hey, ask me again. And he said, what, Anna? And I said, ask me again. He said, what? Ask me why I want to be a cosmetologist. Wow. He said, okay, I'll bite. Sit down. And I sat down and he said, why do you want to be a cosmetologist? I said, because I don't want to change people's hair. I don't want to color. I don't want to cut. I don't want to do manicures or pedicures. I want to change people's lives. Wow. And he said, you'll have a long career just because yeah. you put people first. Yeah. And that right there was a turning moment for me. Because at that moment, I never felt like I didn't have a purpose. I never felt like my journey was confused. I had my I had my purpose. It was like God sent grace to save me. He say, by his grace, we are saved. That was, that was her. That was my divine intervention. She yep. came in and she let me know. She was God's way of telling me, this is your purpose. Your purpose is to touch and change lives. Your even if it's one chair appointment at a time, the impact that we can make on people doing hair was it for me. It was enough for me because we put so much trust in our hairdressers and I didn't realize that until I met Grace. That is okay. So that was such a huge transformational moment. And it's so crazy that you even said that because, uh, because of what I've experienced, which has been very similar experiences with people throughout the 20 years of my career. And I don't even do hair, right? But I get <laughs> to change people's lives. And I knew when we started our new salon business with my daughter, that the mission statement would be in the business of changing lives. And yes. just starting to start to see that with our stylists that come to work for us, that they're realizing, no, it's really about people. It's not about their hair. And it's just like, a conduit of being like almost a facade it's almost mm -hmm. like we have we have it better than doctors because doctors have very little bit of time to spend with their patients because it's boom 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 one every 15 minutes right yes and for us we're with them sometimes two three hours and the amount yes. of time we get to touch them and make them feel good and we have this power and mm -hmm. if they knew this you wouldn't spend so much time yet yeah, you want to learn how to do hair because you want them to keep coming back right exactly but spend more of that time 80 percent of that time on personal development like listening to things like this spending time investing in yourself, grow yourself. Yes. So you know yourself because yes. I believe the definition of leadership. And I just saw it happen with you is transformed people, transform people. And so boom, not, it's like a cycle. So this woman that you transformed, she transformed you. So it's transformed people. So she transformed you in that yes. moment and made you realize your purpose and you march back in and you said mm -hmm. this, is my purpose and now look at you Anna now now tell me how do you continue because I still have bouts of like isolated depression that I, I know what I have to do now I have like a very specific system that I do every single day to keep myself from doing that what do you do to keep yourself from becoming depressed and how do you get through it Anna right now talk to someone right now that's struggling with it that has no idea what to do at the end of my day, every night, I grab a piece of paper. It's not in a journal. It's not any, you know, specific. It could be the back of a receipt. I grab a piece of paper and I sit down and I write down all my lows for the day. That's where I start. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. what was a low moment for me? What was a moment that either my anger got the best of me, my sadness got the best of me, um, or even, I mean, I don't like to use the word, but even my hate. Like, mm -hmm. where did something really impact me? And I write them down. And then I put a line in the middle of the paper and I start writing down all my highs mm. and I write down and I write down. And what I've realized over years now, cause I've been doing this maybe, I want to say at least five years, maybe six years now, but um, wow. I've realized that we have more highs in our days than we do in our lows. It's just that our lows are such a strong emotion that we let them overpower and so I remember reading a quote somewhere that was saying, um, if you had like, and I'm probably saying it all wrong, but I'm just going to throw some numbers out. But they're like, if you had $800,000 in the bank and you lost $10 of it, would you really throw the other 790,000 away or 799,990 away because you lost $10 or would you keep going? And that's kind of how our day goes by. Like we have maybe, you know, five minutes of our day that is bad, you know, yes. but are we going to throw away the other 23 hours because of five minutes 
or are we going to yeah. keep trucking on? And, and doing that little exercise um, helps me because it's like, wow, I had a lot of highs today, you know, that kind of, they kind of push those lows, like, okay, great. They were a moment. And that's what helps me remember that it was just a moment. Um, I also do an exercise, maybe, I would say when, when things are getting really, really tough for me, I'd say maybe like once or twice a month, I do a, a little activity and um, it's where I draw a circle in the middle of the paper. And inside the circle, I talk about um, things that are affecting me, that are stressing me, that I have control over. So mm -hmm. let's say being late to work. Well, I have control over that because I can decide what time I get up, right? Or um, if my health is an issue for me. Well, I control my health because I control what goes into my body. As far as food, I'm talking weight and stuff. Um, and then on the outside of the circle, you start writing down things that are stressing you out that you have no control over. And so, you know, traffic. I don't have control over traffic. I don't have control over uh, flu too much. Um, I can do some practices or whatever, but I just start writing down things on the outside that I have no control over. And then you're supposed to um, write it in a marker so that you can take a black marker and start just slowly going over the outside of that circle and scratching it out. And mentally it's like wow. telling yourself, since I have no control of it, black it out because it doesn't matter. Share, share, share this podcast because this tool is, I'm going to steal them all. I love it. Yes. I actually created a few tools myself in my new book, Be a Planner, that yes. uh, really helps people to go through gratitude just through my own systems too, Anna. So yes. I see a planner coming out for you of helping people to um, like really uh, come up with some great tools that they could use to help them through their struggles because we all have it. And it's so weird yes. today. My uh, devotion today that I read in the Bible today was called the highs and lows of life. And it wow. was really about Psalm 22, one through 11. Read that because I'll tell you, if you're listening to this right now, read that. And our director who used to work with was Debbie. Her word this year is trust which is so cool. And the, the cool thing is, is um, it's all about trust. Just trust that every suffering you have will ultimately lead and in victory. And yes. every suffering you've had, Anna, is ultimately leading in victory. And it's, I had to apply it today in a small way because you said something funny that I started giggling because that was my, my moment. I had this stupid moment of one of our uh, businesses uh, we found out that either $200 got stolen or it got misplaced, but we can't figure out if it got misplaced, but it sounds more like it was taken. So in my head, I had this horrible like thought process in my head. And at the same time, I'm getting this new business opportunity uh, with one of my partners that's out there that I should be like so excited about jumping up for joy, but I'm like, no, it was $200. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't throw like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater it's just two hundred dollars like why yeah. are you so frustrated like you said about the eight hundred thousand dollars and and it's so true so you you set my mind on track and I believe that one of the ways to get through it is to surround yourself with with rosies in your yes. life that that will speak life into you. And that's why I know you and I have still kept in touch. We, even though it's through social media and hearing yes. voice, and I believe that God's going to continue to use you to take your story to the masses and lift people up because you are a lifter of people and continue to do that. And let me ask you, so as you um, go through uh, your next step in life, because I know you have some big, hairy, audacious goals. Yeah, no pun intended. Yes. And uh, talk about what your future plans are and what your future goals are. Um, so one of the things, uh, just because for me, like I said, hair, I always say hair saved me, doing hair saved me, um, because I would have never met Grace otherwise. And uh, so I want to create a uh, kind of like a scholarship program to help other people who are struggling to get into the hair industry um, and start handing out scholarships for that because I feel like this industry really can change people and I honestly believe it and that's one of the things that whenever we get a new class at um, Paul Mitchell I've always told them like you are going to do big things in the hair industry because of hair but you're going to do bigger things in this industry because of the people you touch. So what advice you you're on both spectrums what advice do you can you give 
um, all of the uh, staff or leaders across the country, doesn't matter if you're in a palmetto school in the industry, whatever industry you're in, what advice can you give to every single one of them right now? Take a chance, step back and talk to people. Yeah. Go in asking questions. Um, go in asking. Especially, yeah, yes. go in asking. Um, and it doesn't have to be in the Paul Mitchell industry, but if you are a manager, a supervisor, uh, you hold a leadership position, wherever, whatever yeah. company that you're in, whatever industry you're in, step back and know your employees. Step back and hear their struggle. Do an evaluation with them. Ask them their goals. And then ask them what they're doing to achieve those goals. because. A lot of times when you, people, we have goals, but we can't get to them because of the struggle. And so what is stopping you from getting to the most, the, the big, the next big step? What is your, what is the next step for you? Don't be afraid to grow people around you, but also get to know them. Um, and that was something I admired a lot about you, like working under your staff is that you got to know us. I think out of any uh, supervisor, manager, whatever that I have been under, you were the first person that was like, hey, so what's going on in your life? And I'm like, why does she want to know about my life? <laughs> like, what is this? Like, is oh, no, let me. I'm like, uh-oh. Like, uh, did I put something on Facebook I wasn't supposed to? Like, what, what's going on? But mm. coming to mm -hmm. Paul Mitchell, like, and becoming a leader on that aspect and being able to work with future professionals, like, that expanded out even more of my journey and my purpose because it was like, okay, now the skill sets that I have, I can push them onto somebody else. And so it, essentially we can have a lot of little Annas out there doing exactly what I do instead of just me. And so now we have an army of Annas that have that same heart for yeah. just wanting to help people. And that's important because that's, that's really about, you know, changing people and changing these lives, putting that, that importance back into our industry. Cause you know, people are like, Oh, you do hair no, I change people's lives. Like, yeah. It's, it's very different. So yes. as a leader, get to know your staff, sit down and know them, get to hear their stories, find out their struggles. Um, and then put things together that are more anonymous. Like, you know, like you said, the, the food locker, well, have food in your break rooms that is just available to people. It's funny what a cup of coffee will do for someone. You know, so mm -hmm. invest $150 in a Keurig machine and a few, you know, K cups or whatever of different types and put it in there and say, hey, this is your, you know, your free thing for the day. Some people, it might be the only thing that they eat or drink that day. Yeah. Yeah. But it's available to them and they don't have to be ashamed about it because everybody's getting it. Yeah. You know, so those food lockers are important. Those, that cup of coffee is important. Um, on their anniversaries, like if they're an anniversary with the company, take them out to lunch, talk to them, get to know them, find out who their family is, invest in them. Because when you invest in people and in your business, like if you invest in the people that work for you, your business will grow. Wow. Yes. Yes. Our uh, vision statement is people before profit. Yes. In world. And, uh, and I agree, you know, just invest in people and the profit will come. Like stop focusing on the dollars just focus on the people professionally yes. and personally. So you're, you're speaking to the choir and I love that you said it and I don't always do this, but I'm getting better at it is don't go in attacking, go in asking. Yes, <laughs> right? exactly. Don't go right for the gut. So like, why aren't you in dress code? Like, let's just go in asking. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's just really, really brilliant. Just getting to know people and to see where they're at. You have no idea until you walk into somebody's shoes, what they're truly, truly going through physically yes. and mentally. And, mm -hmm. and so talk, um, as you were on the other uh, episode of being that resistor student in school, yes. but yet look at you. I've hired so many people who were resistors in school, but then they became staff members that were the best ones because I believe transformed people, transform people. So you went through your own transformation. Talk to those students right now that are really struggling, that are uh, kind of on that resistor mode. What advice could you give to them? Um, if you're a student in the hair industry, the first thing I want you to think about, why did you sign on that dotted line? What was yeah. your purpose? What was your reason? And think back to that. Um, on your hardest days, think about that. When it comes to your, um, your learning team, your education team, um, 
don't look at us always as the people that are barking orders or barking rules and regulations. We also have someone to answer up to. We have someone that's asking us why something is happening. And so we have to come in and do that. So uh, remember, we're human. I know that you guys lean mm-hmm. on us a lot because you're human like, I, yeah, human <laughs> beings, right? Um, you lean on us because you're like, I don't know how to do this hair color, but you do. So somehow or another, that made me superhuman. <laughs> But you're just as a, you're just as amazing. You're just as, I mean, there's so many things that future professionals have taught me that I'm just like, wow, step back and it helped expand my career too. But um, trust the process. A lot of times uh, that's one of the first things that I tell a future professional. And I will tell you guys again on here, if you're listening, trust us. If you feel like we know how to do our job, if you feel we know how to cut hair, if you know we know how to color hair, highlight hair, perm hair, relax hair, whatever task you've been assigned with at school, don't look to yourself only. Trust us and then trust the process. Because one thing we're never going to do is lead you astray or lead you to fail. Our goal as educators is to make you uh, succeed. And even me personally, and I know I've heard this from other learning leaders, um, we want you to be better than us. Mm -hmm. That's the main reason why most of us got into education is because we saw something in education that we missed as, you know, being educated ourselves. So we want to push that out to you. We want to give that to you. So we want to make you better than us. And um, if we push you, it's because we know you have the potential. Cause I, I'm, I'm a pusher. I push people and my students, like they'll say that. I mean, I just got a text message from somebody who graduated last week. And that was one of the things she said, she was like, you know, I was scared of you at first because uh, you were hard. You were like, you came in and you wanted this and this and this done. She's like, but over time I realized how much better I got because you saw it in me, even if I couldn't believe in me. And we do believe in you. We yeah. do. At the end of the day, we believe in you. We know you're going to be something. And I mean, we're more proud of you when you graduate than you are. And so yeah. trust the process, trust us, because we'll get you through it. Um, open up to us. We're human and we want to hear from you. We want to know that you're struggling um, so that we can find ways to help you. And we may not be able to find the answer right then and there when you're telling us, but we can push you to the person that can, because not everybody is equipped to deal with everything. Just the last piece of advice, I would say if you are struggling with depression, we'll start here. Um, open up to someone, find one person that you trust. I don't care if it's a professional, I don't care if it's personal, but find one person that you trust and just let them know what you're feeling. Make sure that the person that you trust is listening, not hearing you, but listening. Um, And if they're not, find someone else because someone needs to listen to what's going on in your life. If you're a professional or a leader, be honest, be open and be available Mm. because people need you that's why you're in a position of leadership. Wow. You're powerful, girl. I love you so much. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.